Hello, I'm Andrew Fuller. I'm the chairperson of Generation Next. And in this series of podcasts, we talk to esteemed professionals from around Australia and around the world about aspects to do with well-being, mental health, and young people. And today, I'm just delighted to talk to my friend and great colleague, John Hendry, OAM, who has spent a long time thinking about education and making it available to all young people and how also we can use uh, that opportunity to really help deepen our understanding about relationships. But today we're gonna to talk about a specific issue and that specific issue is attachments that relates to teenagers. Often we talk about this in relation to young children and sometimes to adults, but less often to teenagers. We're gonna talk about some of the cognitive effects as well as the emotional effects. We're gonna talk about whether uh, teenager life inevitably disrupts family attachments and how we can re-secure some of our uh, unattached or less attached teenagers. And then have a bit of a, a look at identity formation and attachment before finally thinking about how we can treat this in a formalized sense. So welcome, John. It's great to be with you. Um, could you give us a very brief overview uh, of attachment, please? Certainly, Andrew. It's lovely to have the opportunity again to, to spend some time with you, and, and I hope it's useful to all those that are listening. Attachment is really, really uh, critical. We are social beings, and kids uh, inevitably will spend their life in relationships. How they form those relationships really depends on the confidence they have themselves in whether they're secure or not. And John Bowlby and Mary Ainsworth and now many, many, many others look really closely at what is important in uh, forming relationships, what gives young people an opportunity to be confident, to be secure in a relationship, and what underpins it. And so the whole area of attachment looks at uh, are, the, uh, are you secure or are you insecure, and what actually determines that. And this is really a the primary carer, this is mother and father, this is family. However, the world has changed dramatically now. And really, if you look at it, schools probably now are surrogate centres for attachment in the sense that um, if schools don't understand carefully the role they have in an attachment circumstance for each young child, and they are doing a disservice to them. And so attachment is really critical to how young people see lives. We live our lives totally relationally. And whether we like it or not, whether we like it or not, children form relationships. That's how they live. So uh, that's how they grow, that's how they learn. Will we talk about the emotional effects of attachment? Um, Let's have a bit of a think about the cognitive effects, the effects on your thinking during the teenage years. Um, any ideas about that, John? Yes, it, securely attached uh, young people are cognitively alert. They are secure in how they approach learning. They are secure, and it's really quite interesting, the neuroscience of what goes on in cognition is fascinating in the sense that uh, young people who are securely attached are far more curious 
So uh, this captures all those aspects of the brain that uh, allows them to explore, to feel confident, to have a go at things. People who are insecurely attached, young people, adolescents who are insecurely attached, are not as well placed to be curious. They are suspicious of a whole range of things and in the formation of their uh, neural capacity, uh, it is inhibited. And the studies that have just been done recently are really, really uh, profound in the sense that unless we attend to moving someone in an adolescent uh, uh, circumstance from being insecure to being secure, then we are denying them access in a cognitive sense to really being able to learn. So it really forms a view of the world for young people in terms of the way they relate to others. Is that right? Well, it, it does because learning is a risky activity and what uh, insecure uh, adolescents don't like is taking risks. They really like to be secure, but they're not. And so they become risk averse uh, and it, it takes over. So they are feeling insecure when they walk into a classroom, when they walk into a, uh, any adolescent circumstance, they are insecure and they will react rather than act. These are really interesting things. And so in order to, so they, they become very protective of themselves um, and they don't prospect very much. They just start to look after themselves. It's me first and they are unable to really uh, if you like, open their eyes to what's around them. They, they, they their vision is really controlled in, uh, in a, in a inhibiting way in a learning sense. And so, if schools don't understand this, then they miss out greatly in 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 how they um, can teach these kids. And Andrew, you and I have discussed before. Forty percent of uh, children are insecurely attached mm. and that's so you, across all nations. So do you think that the process of individuation during adolescence means that attachment is shaken in most teenagers or you said 40 percent? Uh, it's challenged in for all teenagers because um, the the whole concept of growing up and exploring things and so forth. And because we are social beings, we really want to be regarded quite well by uh, adults and by uh, our peers. It's really uh, interesting that the secure individual is quite confident in forming relationships with other adults and is quite confident in forming relationships with peers mainly because they feel confident in their own, they trust themselves. So they have the capacity to trust others. An insecure person is a bit windy about that. Uh, and so consequently, they, they struggle to form quality relationships, which are based on trust uh, with an adult. So they're suspicious. They are also suspicious of peers and the relationships they form. And they are, in many ways, they don't trust themselves greatly. So these are, are profoundly uh, inhibiting factors for uh, 
know, the uh, insecure person. It, it, it's interesting. An insecure adolescent believes that in the end, people will get them. A secure in, uh, adolescent believes that people are okay, that, that you can trust them, that they stuff up, but, but you give them a break and you just get on with it. Whereas uh, an insecure person, if someone stuffs up, it's a, a confirmation bias. It proves to them that people will let you down. And so these are really things that, um, you know, kids struggle with greatly. And when they form relationships, um, it, uh, how they form them is really interesting. An insecure person for, through circumstance forms relationships in a classroom, on the sporting field, just in any corridor in any school. They form relationships through circumstance, but they form them on the base of what I call is transactional. So they're looking after themselves all the time. They are, if you like, speaking benefit from any relationship they form. So they're, to use a term that Adam Grant uses, they're, they're takers. Mm. Whereas a, 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 an adolescent who is secure in and of themselves uh, is when they form relationships, they form it on the basis of contribution. So they are givers. So they like to add value to a relationship, whereas the uh, insecure adolescent doesn't believe that they do add value. So they they're more, they form relationships so they get something from it. So they're seeking benefit for themselves, whereas the secure uh, adolescent is seeking benefit for both. Uh, and so they're great team members, whereas a, a, a insecure person is not a team member uh, or not a good team member. And really, a team is just a class. So a class is a team. Mm -hmm. So within a class circumstance, a secure uh, adolescent will, in every sense, cognitively and every other sense, attempt to add value to the class, to make a contribution, put the hand up, you know, not not be critical of others and so on. Whereas a a uh, insecure uh, will sit there and be critical of others, uh, not listen carefully. So all the sort of learning uh, attributes that you need are inhibited by just their uh, attachment status. So what do you think we can do to help those young people whose attachment has frayed a bit or become insecure or anxious or avoidant or even disorganised to become more secure over the teenage years? Well, that's why I say the schools now are really the centre of attachment. I think uh, what a school needs to do is to ensure that it, every student is safe, is secure. And once that happens, then you can see the insecure adolescent gain confidence in the circumstance. Whether we like it or not, environment and the culture of that environment is directive. It really, really enables or disables. And you and I have talked about what is a resilient culture. A resilient culture is a culture that is kind, it is inclusive, not exclusive, 
when an error is made, it forgives. It gives an opportunity for us to learn from a mistake. So schools need to really create resilient cultures that welcome, that really include rather than exclude. And that becomes obvious in how uh, adults in the school circumstance behave towards one another and towards children, uh, students. And in an adolescent environment, it is absolutely critical that uh, a, a, an insecure adolescent feels in the school context, in the classroom, on the sporting field, in the corridor, wherever, that they are safe. And it's amazing how effective that becomes in that they start to look more closely at gaining confidence in others and in themselves. So uh, what does the research tell us about how long it takes for a young person with attachment issues to become more secure when they um, spend a lot of time with secure in a secure organisation, a secure school or a secure relationship or a secure friendship? Do we know much about that? No one's really looked at it closely. My observation over too many years in the classroom and in schools, uh, it says it doesn't take that long. It doesn't take that long, but it really requires the staff member, the, the, the teacher to attach in a confident way to a student who's reluctant to attach. Mm. So this is why it's unbelievably important for schools to know carefully to discover the attachment style of each child. And this is, this is really, uh, it means that the, the, the teacher needs to know well the family. The teacher needs to understand that uh, it's a little bit like uh, the, uh, an iceberg. We, we know what's above the water, but we don't know what's below. If we don't know what's below, then it's very difficult for us to teach effectively because the suspicious system that uh, insecure, uh, anxious or avoidant or disorganised, uh, but anxious and avoidant in particular, uh, they, they hide um, quite comfortably from us and we don't, uh, some of them are, are quite compliant. They just sit there quietly, but they're not in, engaged. So what we want to do is create a circumstance that where we've got full engagement. And it's really interesting to have secure kids work with insecure kids without any judgment being made, uh, because all of a sudden then they're growing confidence in their, their peers. One of the really interesting things, and this has been looked at pretty closely, um, peer pressure is, is evident all, all the time in schools. What, what tends to happen for insecure kids is that they form very tight peer circumstances. So we have gangs and cliques and all that sort of stuff. Uh, the real problem with that is that there is no, if you like, there's virtually no moral underpinning to how they behave. Whereas secure kids form um, uh, the same sort of uh, 
relationships with with their peers. However, the the parental type uh, or adult value system is found as a moral underpinning for that. And so the, the research uh, that's been done there is really indicating that parents and teachers, please make yourself fully aware of the changing nature and the exploration that goes on in adolescence and be there as powerful, if you like, uh, attachment figures so that you provide a moral underpinning that uh, gives a sense of security that doesn't exist uh, for those that uh, just let the peer circumstance run. And, you know, we, we, we see this all the time, Andrew, in just silly behaviour, like all kids are really wonderful. They're all lovely. They're, you know, we should love them all. Uh, but, you know, they, they get together and then all of a sudden they're doing ridiculous things and you think, what in the hell are they up to? Um, and we are uh, perhaps overzealous at times in trying to control what they're doing and don't give them the space and the freedom that they need. But we, you know, there are too many reminders that uh, if we don't pay attention carefully to the, um, whether they're secure or insecure, then we find that there is significant life damage. So they go off into, you know, they drive the car too quickly, they drink too much, they're promiscuous, they, all, all the types of things that uh, we would like every kid to, uh, you know, enjoy exploration in life, but carefully and safely. Do we know, John, from the research on gender and cultural differences in attachment? Uh, yeah, there, there, there's been some interesting re research across cultures. Um, gender is really interesting uh, in a relational sense, uh, depending on, on, on what culture we're in. So uh, in many cultures, females find it difficult to charter a, a course in, in relationships if they're insecure. Uh, if they're secure, they're also challenged, uh, but not as greatly. Um, males, men are not very good at forming relationships and, and, and boys struggle with what is the purpose of this relationship. And if you're looking, uh, boys and boys and girls and girls form reasonably interesting relationships themselves. But when you have a boy and a girl forming relationships, adolescence is a time of greater exploration in a relational sense. Uh, and what we want to make certain is that no one is hurt in those relationships. Uh, and often, uh, if you form a relationship on the basis of what you can get out of it, then you take advantage of other people. Mm -hmm. and, and, and this is something that schools need to be, and parents need to be fully aware of, that in fact, that taking advantage of other people is really found more prevalent in uh, insecure young people than insecure young people. Uh, and so parents and teachers don't let go. You'll be challenged, but don't let go. Make certain that your attachment 
with the young person is uh, solid and make certain that you give ground when you need to, but if you like, you're holding the reins in a way that's allowing them to go, but you're just keeping them safe. And often we give up too, too quickly on, oh, they've done it. It's happened again. What, and, and this is why the whole, those five elements to a really quality relationship that, that parents and, and uh, teachers need to form with young people, you know, the young person must trust your judgment. They must trust that you're going to look after them. They must trust that you won't hurt them. So this is, you're giving them a break when they get something wrong. Uh, the, and they know you're not going to hurt them because of the integrity you have in that relationship. So you are going to not harm, that you're going to treat them appropriately in the circumstance. You'll never use shame against them in a public sense or in any sense. Uh, you'll provide them that access to, through your attachment, you'll continually provide them that access to hope, which is the essence of, of resilience. And at the last thing they need to know as a, uh, whether they're secure or insecure, they need to know that you really care about them. this is this is that you love them really, yeah. um, and, and and that you'll take those steps that will uh, regather them when they stuff up, and secure or insecure, they all make mistakes. But we give up too readily on the insecure ones because they drive us mad, uh, and and they're at us all the time um, because they're and that's an interesting thing that they've discovered in the Minnesota study, which is a, long, a really longitudinal study, is that uh, the insecure kids are continually trying out all adults or all friends that come up to see whether or not they, they, they're going to be used or they're going to be harmed. So they're continually testing you. And it's wary, you, you know, you get tired of it, but you've just got to, uh, you know, carry it through it's 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 really really important uh, because we we tend to lose faith um in and in an insecure person in the end when you get to them and talk to them they say they're not loved so older adolescents often are in the business of really trying to form their identities clearly there must be a relationship between attachment style and identity formation I'm not sure, has, have people explored that very deeply? There's a direct, uh, a, a direct correlation between whether you feel you're okay or whether you don't with regards to identity. Hmm. Um, and over a lifetime, uh, people who are securely attached, they grow a network uh, and, and the network just adds or compounds their sense of security, whereas uh, in, in an identity sense. So they, this is critically important. So we're here looking at self-regard and the social regard for a, or, or how others regard them is really, really uh, endorses their self-regard. Whereas uh, those who are insecure, they're, they, they're going to form probably as many relationships, but uh, those relationships will be not built on the same sorts of security uh, that the secure 
uh, kids have. And uh, over time, these relationships disappear because people get sick of being used. And so you find that uh, the, the type of identity uh, development is that these people become loners. Mm. And loneliness is a killer. Mm. And they they want to draw attention to themselves. Lonely people do one of two things: either they hide, or they they try to draw attention so that they don't, so they're not lonely. Uh, and this is a you know very dangerous. But over a lifetime, um, you know the most important, and this is the Grant study. Of course, the most important thing is a quality relationship, and a quality relationship is built on contribution and this adds meaning to your life whereas you know what and I, I've dealt with many kids who uh, have not felt secure and they they don't see the meaning what what are we doing this for what's life about uh, and these are challenging moments and it's confronting uh, for them and, and and they say yeah I just can't, no, I can't add any value here. Whereas a secure person will look very carefully because they're curious and they, they explore opportunity, whereas the others deny it. So identity formation is critical. Um, one of the really interesting long-term uh, studies that have been done is that really insecure kids are not in the end resilient whereas secure kids are um, and so the mental health of um, uh, insecure kids is inhibited and and that affects their physical health it certainly affects their engagement their contribution their meaning in life uh, and ultimately affects their achievement mm -hmm. and their sense of worth whereas you know a kid who's securely attached they still have, you know, challenges in a mental health sense, you know, they, they worry and so forth, but they're, they're, they're able to calm that somewhat and, and their physical health and engagement, contribution, their achievements, their meaning in life is much more uh, beneficial to them in a long term. And so I think, you know, as a school, we, we really play an unbelievably important role. Yes. Because we are the surrogate attachment for far, well, at least 40%, mm. at least 40%. Uh, and it is an opportunity for us to look at how we can do this. And, and this has been done. You know, the circle of security, which is the Mary Ainsworth, and if people want to look at it, you know, it, it's well worth looking at. And, uh, you know, probably the, the, uh, the best and I'm just grabbing my book here, Andrew, that, that Raising a Secure Child, uh, uh, which is by Hoffman, Cooper and Powell, uh, is an unbelievably interesting and important um, uh, book uh, because it, it traces the development of how, how do you take an insecure child and slowly but surely, and it is a slowly but surely process, mm -hmm. How do we move them to initially just feeling a little bit more comfortable and a little bit more secure? And then how do we move them to 
to a state where they, they feel good about themselves. And once they feel good about themselves, then others, interestingly, they will, re they will uh, interact with others in a more positive way, which means that others will regard them more highly. And so these are, you know, it, it's a spiral type effect that is really, really fascinating. And uh, often kids who, you know, we all face some degree of trauma in our lives, but uh, uh, kids who are secure manage trauma in a, a more constructive way than kids who are insecure. It's destructive always, but how you actually manage it is determined by your sense of, of security or insecurity. This is where Bowlby's work is unbelievably important. And it's really interesting, you know, the studies that are done now are concluding that of all, Professor Susan Johnson says that uh, of all uh, people who work in the area of, of human interaction, so Freud, the behaviorists, and all these have made nowhere near the contribution that Bowlby and attached mm. people have made. And so from a school point of view, if we can lift kids in the classroom, in the corridor, in just generally to feel a sense of security, a sense of safety, then all of a sudden you make that, that group of kids who struggle with their own personal image uh, they struggle because they don't trust well. Um, you, you give them an opportunity to feel secure. Uh, and I, I've, I've actually seen you know, uh, kids come who are in a traumatised circumstance, who are really traumatised outside school, but when they get to school, they feel safe. And it's fascinating to see uh, how much joy it brings to them to be there. And one of the uh, problems we had with one particular school in South Australia was that the kids wouldn't go home. <laughs> and at weekends, you know, the principal would go out there and there'd be 80 kids playing <laughs> comfortably in the schoolyard. John, mm. I want to thank you and honour your work. I think it's a remarkable contribution and we are all the beneficiaries of your wisdom. So thank you so much for that. If people would like to get in touch with you or continue a conversation around attachment in teenagers or attachment generally in schools, how might they do so? They can just send me an email. Um, my email address is just take the single at gmail.com. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but uh, Andrew, they, they could contact you and you could I'm certainly happy to do that. And of course, that's an appropriate cricketing metaphor, take the single. Make the opportunity happen when it happens. Thank you so much, John, for your time today. That's all right, Andrew. Thank you. It's a wonderful opportunity. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you would like to follow up in further detail, please listen in to some of the other podcasts that we have made, which are available through the Generation Next website. There are also a series of books uh, from Generation Next in terms of nurturing young minds, uh, covering a series of issues to do with young people, and also in my own book, Tricky Behaviours and Your Best Life at Any Age, which are both available either on Amazon or through Bad Apple Press. Thank you so much, and I uh, hope to 
connect with you again soon. Thank you. Find more resources for supporting the mental health and well-being of young people on the Generation Next website. While you're there, consider becoming a member of the online learning hub, where you can access practical sessions from leading experts on demand. There are many sessions available in the ever-expanding learning library, and each session has an instantly downloadable certificate of completion, which you may even be able to use to claim professional development. You can also feel great about your membership, with all proceeds supporting Generation Next's not-for-profit initiatives, including this podcast. You may also like to read more in Generation Next's Young Minds books. Both books contain practical and easy-to-read chapters on a range of topics from Australia's leading practitioners. Andrew Fuller's chapter, What is Resilience and How to Do It, is in the book Growing Happy, Healthy Young Minds, available on the Generation Next website at www.generationnext.com.au. We hope you found this podcast helpful. Please share this podcast and your learnings with others. Until next time, thanks for listening and for all you do to support young people and our communities.